Hello and welcome to Create, Talk, Repeat. My name is Dustin Brenton. On this episode, I spoke with, I can't believe I'm about to say this, I spoke with Alan Palomo. I am a massive fan, as you'll hear on this episode. You might not know his name because he's been making music under the name Neon Indian since 2009, churning out amazing track after track like Deadbeat Summer, Polish Girl, Annie, Toyota Man, and Change of Coast that was featured on Grand Theft Auto V. Well, now he's back with a slightly different sound in his new album under his actual name. The new album, World of Hassle, comes out September 15th, and from what I've heard, he can't make a bad song if he tried. But before we get to that interview, here's a word from our sponsor. Let's go! Stay tuned. Anchor.fm is now Spotify for podcasters. New name, improved experience. Spotify is more dedicated than ever to empowering creators. This platform will continue to offer the best features to grow your podcast and distribute it everywhere, all for free. Visit podcasters.spotify.com for more details. Back to the show. Hello, and today on Create Talk Repeat, we're joined by Alan Palomo, which some of you may know as Neon Indian, but uh, but he's going by Alan Palomo now. So that's uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Alan. Oh, my uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna you know fangirl out for like a minute or two. So just sit there and be embarrassed and listen to me yeah. uh, go on about how. <laughs> huge of a freaking fan I am of your music and like if it wasn't for those last three neon Indian albums like I it would have been silence in my uh in my house and my ears uh, I've just oh, listened man. to them over and over and over and it's always my go-to and even I had uh for a while I had this uh um I don't know if this is a good a good endorsement or not but I had a a speaker that was in my uh pillow at night and I always put on uh, your albums and we'll listen to it. Go to sleep. Oh, I don't know. Dude, your yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, I, well, my 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 ears are burning, so thank you. Uh, I, I appreciate the kind words. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, to me, that's like that's comfort food music. If you can fall asleep to it, you know, it's something that you, you know, that that you know well enough that like it just kind of you know it it lulls you in that state. I mean, I I have the same thing with like Apex Blend, where there's just certain go-to tracks where I'm like, I'm just gonna listen to Blend. Or rhubarb, or you know, stone focus, or like one of the ambient tracks until I pass out. So, so it's it's just it's a thrill to talk to you. So you know, I did say if I got if I got Alan on the show, I'd probably retire, which I'm not. I'm not. I'm not stopping the podcast. I love doing this, but I I did say I was going. To, I was like, I'm done. I don't know. I got some other great ones coming up. So don't quit listening, everybody. We got we got more episodes coming. So. All right, so after I uh, sat here and and just told you how wonderful you are, let's let's go let's go back and let's start <laughs> with the first question I always ask everybody: um, What do you create? Cool. Um, I would say that uh, I I mean obviously I'm a musician by trade. Uh, I'm, I'm I would still call myself a, a hobbyist as far as a filmmaker goes, but. I think what I what I always I mean, regardless of whether it be uh, musically or cinematically or through whatever medium, whether it be writing, like uh, I I like to um, I, I want to say that like I like to create little worlds, you know, um, in, in the way that uh, uh, I think um, you know just in even in, in the beginnings of uh, Neon Indian and the music that I was doing before that, you know, I mean, obviously I would say that the pretentious answers that I used. You know, and and with that, you know, you could you could to, to make records specifically. But my aim with those records has always kind of been to have their own little insular narratives, their own worlds and and, and aesthetics that they're informed by. Uh, and you know, much of the reason of this is even just kind of how I got into music, which is, um, I mean, obviously I grew up in a, a musical household. My dad, you know, he's still a gig musician, so is my brother, uh, and. Um, uh, uh, the funny thing is, is that, you know, I started making music uh, out of a frustration when I was in film school that I couldn't really work any equipment until my third year. And I had um, you know, a very supportive biotech teacher in high school where I was just, you know, I, I could 
would go around making little movies with my friends on, on a mini DV camera and, and, you know, learning how to use Final Cut and all that. So then to be thrown into this academic environment where, you know, there's just a couple of years of like, their, their way of thinning out the herd and getting the people that really want to do that program was mm-hmm. basically just to make them take a bunch of like language and math and science classes. If you can endure that, then we'll give you a shot at like doing the RTF program. And, you know, I mean, well, I don't know if I can curse, but I, I thought it was kind of bullshit because there might be a lot of people that, you know, that aren't necessarily equipped for that kind of academia that are, um, but that are very capable storytellers or, or very, uh, um, you know, capable filmmakers for that matter. So I um, kind of, as, as, as my own little act of rebellion, like I just, I started making electronic music and A, because I liked it. I mean, it's what I've been listening to throughout high school, but B, because that was uh, something I could make on my own, you know? And and I think that kind of itch that I never got to scratch in terms of just like doing it out of frustration with wanting to get into film, you know, there's always kind of been uh, this, this sort of world building MO um, with each of the records where in my head, I'm always kind of, I'm, I'm seeing a movie, you know? And if mm. I can't, if I can't uh, tell, tell a narrative or a story visually, then I will definitely, you know, uh, do it um, that orally, <laughs> that what the A U R A, you know, um, but uh, uh, and you know, orally I guess as well because I've been singing the songs. But um, you know, the the intent was always kind of to you know to create these little these, these fun rabbit holes, you know. Yeah. So in each each one of your records has a definite like storyline or a feel to it especially when you pair it with the videos that you've you've created as well how much of that have do you i I mean i'm sure you have your fingers in it but how many of these videos have you actually like um you know created yourself because i know you're like you said you're into filmmaking and um i'm pretty sure correct me if i'm wrong slumlord was was yours right oh yeah yeah. All yours. So, and then uh, I really I, I enjoyed uh, 86th, which was a short film that you did as well. Um, so, how you know how uh, how much of the uh, videos and whatnot do you have your hands in? Even even when you have somebody like Johnny Woods who did one of your recent videos, how much of that uh, do you feel like is your world that you're building? Um, I mean. You know, it's well it's funny in the case of Slum, I did have a really great co-director of uh, this guy, Tim Nakashi. And that was kind of my first uh, real attempt at it. You know, I mean, I had I was always involved in the sense of, um, you know, typically in the early days, uh, you'd have a, a, a record, you know, before you have a record coming out, you, you figure out what the singles are. And then there's directors that have relationships with the label where they're like submitting their treatments for stuff. And I never really, you know, there was rarely I would ever get anything kind of felt like it was really, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, a creatively running in tandem with the songs. I feel like a lot of directors kind of have a bunch of treatments already kind of prepared and then the one song might fit for it or the song might fit for it. So that was kind of how I slowly started getting involved. And first it was really more just like working with directors that I, whose work I really admired and who were open to kind of having it be more of a conversation, or at least you know, allowing me to have some creative input. Uh, and Tim, who did the Polish video, you know, we wound up working together on Slumlord. And that was probably when I was like, I I want to direct this uh, you know, collaboratively. And uh, and it, it actually wound up really working to our benefit because there were so many, like, if you watch that video, there's like, you know, there's like 60 extras, like the first, you know, uh, the first like four or five minutes are a winner. It's really a, 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 a very ambitious undertaking to do it uh, within the budget that we had. So it kind of made sense to like divide and conquer a little bit. You know, like Tim would be working with the DP and I would work with the actors and, and, and really trying to coordinate this behemoth. Um, but it was really like, I was excited to do a trial by fire, you know. Um, and then after that, pretty much like once I kind of got a taste for it, I decided that I would direct every asset moving forward, um, which I have. I mean, at this point now, I think I've directed like, eight videos. Um, mm-hmm. well, these last two, the lyric videos were, were definitely also, you know, collaborative. Um, it was really more doing like creative direction uh, with Robert Beatty and, and, and Mickey Moss who animated it. Um, but that's kind of my thing. I mean, like I always, uh, I, I tend to curate very carefully what, what I'm uh, consuming when I'm writing a record because whatever I'm reading or whatever I'm watching or listening to inevitably will make its way into the work. So, you know, with, with Vega, there was this whole, like, uh, kind of being obsessed with how every filmmaker um, 
uh, interprets their their vision of New York, you know, like Lynn Ramsey's New York isn't the same as Spike Lee's New York, isn't the same as Adrian Lee's New York or Scorsese's New York. So I kind of wanted to do what would you know, Palomo's New York look like. Uh, and uh, and obviously, you know, uh, the movie After Hours was like, was like a huge influence on that record. Um, but um, but I mean, even more so recently, you know, with uh, with this record, like yeah, now that I knew that I was gonna kind of have my hand uh in 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 all the music videos um i i was writing the song and already kind of imagining what what the music video would be or what the narrative would be um so it was easy to kind of bring that to somebody like johnny you know who's such a beat uh you know animation wise and, and just creative like for a lot of i mean obviously you know when you're when you got a music video you're like trying to tell a story without dialogue or or as minimal dialogue as possible but the whole point of just suit larry is that you know it, it's a dialogue game you know it's right. a it's an rpg so that was a little bit of a challenge to kind of be like all right how can we pare it down to the least amount of reading and telling the story just visually and i mean johnny was you know it was we, we it was the first time i'd ever made an animatic um for uh for a music video or for any project and it actually like kind of changed the way i work like i wanted to do the same thing for motrier uh, because I used to, I mean, I, I would always kind of do this thing of just like, just shoot as much as possible. And then we'll, kind of, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what all we can fit in the video. So it has to make for these, like, you know, at times kind of like overblown, you know, or, or just, uh, uh like I wound up having to kill some of my darlings and lose moments that I shot that I really liked, but there's just no time because you're working within the, the framework of this, uh, you know, of, of the song's length. Um, and, uh, but this time around, like, oh, when you make an automatic, you're like, your storyboard we're only gonna thing. make yeah. yeah totally we're only gonna make what we need and we don't have to mm -hmm. take time doing anything else you can you can the, all the energy and from the stuff you know that you, you you need to tell the story you know yeah i told johnny i told him i said uh after watching that video that i you know i loved it i was like this is great but i had to actually go back and listen to the song without watching the video to see if i actually enjoyed the song or i enjoyed the video more. oh yeah like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so and i did i do enjoy the song it's uh whenever i hear uh, uh demarco go let's go i'm like yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Those... yeah when he sent me it's... that uh when you know I, asked him, I was like can i get i gave him like a little script of some things that he could send kind of after the fact um just i, I wanted to pepper in like his voice but mm -hmm. I told him when he sent me that, I was just like, dude, you sound like Duke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that timbre to it. Yeah, no, it was, it's, it's just one of those, the, the first words that just get you, you know, pumped up and ready to go. And it's a, it's a great track. So, so when did, when did you start creating just in general? I know you said when you were in college, you kind of by necessity ended up going into music just because it took so long to get the film. I kind of did the same thing just um, switching colleges, by the way, because I I was I'm a graphic designer, and my first university I went to, I didn't touch a computer at all, and I'm like, I want to yeah. do design, so I ended up going to a, a local university that or local college that allowed me to. But when did you start creating, just in general? Were you interested in making music and films when you were a kid? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. I I first uh, I got into film. Um, and I'm trying to, you know, everyone always has like an embarrassing first movie or something like that that was like the whoa, you know. Uh, but I think for me, it was probably I went to go see Snatch with like my Mormon best friend at the time in in middle school, and uh, and uh, afterwards I told my parents I was just like, what is like I this movie's insane. You guys have to come see it. So I went to go see it with them, and they were like, I mean, this is fine, but if you like stuff like this, like you should watch. And then you know uh, they kind of opened this rabbit hole of like. Taxi Driver, so I was watching a lot of Scorsese stuff, a lot of like just American 70s uh, stuff like, you know, uh, Beer Hunter. Um, definitely, I think my parents were just like fans of Robert De Niro, but, um, <laughs> but uh, coincidentally, uh, that same summer, um, Stanley Kubrick died and Cinemax was just showing all of this stuff back to back. So I remember that for like that whole week, you know, uh, my parents and I sat down and watched, um, you know, like I think it was, I think we, we would have watched like uh, Clockwork Orange and uh, uh, you know two thousand one. You know, all, yeah. All, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Uh, eventually, then I went. I would, I would find Barry Lyndon and stuff like that. Eyes wide shut. But, um, but that was really formative for me. And I think from there, I mean, I had been in middle school. I did a little bit of acting. Uh, my mom was like a 
uh, like my dad's a musician and my mom worked at this local uh, like telemundo station. She was like a news anchor, but she kind of got into acting uh, side, kind of just like, oh, like local commercials and stuff like that. So I did a little bit of that, you know, like I was in a GI Joe commercial and yeah, I took the money from that, bought a computer. And then eventually when I decided I was gonna like start working on uh, on video stuff, um, you know, that was when I, I, I think at some point there was like the interest went from like, I want to act to like, I actually am interested in being behind the camera and, and writing films and, 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 um, and the, the little, it's funny. Cause I remember, I think the first thing I started doing creatively was like, I remember towards the end of middle school, I was in some like message board that made like, uh, South Park like, fan games. And I, and they, they had their designated software that they were using, I downloaded it and I told, I just sucked mechanics like i couldn't i couldn't figure it out but i knew how to make cutscenes really well so i would just make like you know for other people's games just kind of animate these simple cutscenes. it's funny when i went back and i was telling johnny when i was doing the the, the nudista video the turnaround was so tight i had to step in and start uh, uh chiming in with like drawing backgrounds and and animating just like basic little characters and background stuff and it took me back to that time of like oh yeah i was kind of doing like pixel art stuff in middle school <laughs> it's like yeah it was something soothing and therapeutic about coming back to that and just like drawing you know well, it's funny um, how it's all kind of come back around because i mean my son i have 11 year old son and he he creates pixel art and how you oh. know that's and, and he loves doing that and then you know the kids are playing games like minecraft and stuff who has this has this very pixel look we've spent years and years trying to get these realistic looking you know creatures and humans and stuff and then now it's all going back to oh this looks like an atari game <laughs> totally i mean it's really it's it's really comfort food you know i feel like for a lot of people and even if you didn't live through it initially you know i i think it, there's still it's probably even more of an appeal because it's like the time you didn't live through and the novelty of like you know this, these kind of like limited um you know uh this like very limited language in which you can create that stuff and johnny's such a stickler about that. i mean that's why i love working with him but he was just like we're only going to use the original 16 colors mm -hmm. that you know that sierra games was using for leisure suit later at that time and uh and it's great you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah then, i mean what i didn't realize you well you have to like uh, i didn't realize that like you have to use like to get certain colors you have to then create like a checker uh like checker uh patterns to be combined like oh man well there's no because there's no like real flesh tone so they just have that weird color or a brown color so if you want something in between if you want lighter like you have to doing like yeah, these checkerboard patterns with like uh you know with white or yellow or whatever is available to you and it really creates like kind of really hyper saturated psychedelic effect yeah it's like if you you know get real close to a television screen and you can look at all the little dots yes. and pixels in it you can see like <laughs> wait everything is rgb i don't understand how i'm seeing somebody's face on here so yeah, yeah no i yeah, it, exactly. it definitely it as soon as i saw it as soon as it came up i was just like this whole video is leisure suit larry like i i remember this from not being able not not being able to play it when i was a child but still you know same, <laughs> same. yeah well the, i mean the music video kind of wound up being like uh what i imagine you know what, what 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 i always wanted the game to be and then i actually was doing research uh trying to play the game so i could drop a little um you know so i could start working on the animatic and dude those games were like possible to play like you would be playing for months just to see like a sliver of like like some pixelated nip you know it's, yeah, it's, right. it's so funny to me back then the desperation to play this game you know and, and willing to kind of like run through its gambit just to see like a you know just to get something like slightly erotic or something you know is mm -hmm. so funny to me but that's you know that's the early 90s for you uh right, i yeah. up in the end i just watched a bunch of playthroughs it, it just it was like I really like I bought a little book that I have somewhere around here, but it was basically like a guide to the first three. And uh and I realized that like, oh, back then you needed like sort of walkthrough or or, or tip or hints thing like from a, a magazine from some Sierra games catalog mm -hmm. or something. Otherwise, like it's impossible to play, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I remember being able to buy those at all the uh, electronics boutiques and whatnot. They had the different books and, you know, to be able to go through the games and whatnot. I never got into those games. I was always busy playing football, like <laughs> on Madden or something. <laughs> I was playing sure. Tech yeah, Mobile yeah. back then. I was playing Tech Mobile on the Nintendo. That's where I was. Yeah, yeah. So did you, where, where did you, let's, let's pivot to the music. Where did you learn 
how to play. So was this something that you, you know, were you ever formally taught? Was there, I know you said your, your dad played music and whatnot, but, um, or was this all kind of self-taught or did you ever go to any like formal training? Uh, I actually, um, so I grew like growing up, I think my brother kind of took more of an interest in music. And I, you know, once I decided that like film or acting or that's what I was going to get into, like, I just kind of down that rabbit hole, but I still was around musicians, you know, like I would see my dad would rehearse, you know, uh, every day it used to be like stuff that I didn't realize, like, you know, uh, that I, I should have been more appreciative of in the moment. You know, my dad taught me how to sing. You know, he was like having me do these like duets with him and forcing me to learn all these like Frank Sinatra standards uh, when I was a kid. And uh, and at the time I was like, you know, like I wanted to, I didn't want, I wanted to, to uh, you know, play Sonic 3. I didn't want to do that, you know. Right. Um, but learning at that, uh, at that age, like really did just kind of, I didn't, I didn't understand he was giving me a skill set, you know. Uh, so I, I just kind of forgot about that. I think, you know, he kind of, uh, was working more with my brother in that time and teaching him how to play guitar. And then my brother got really into bass. So I was observing kind of working out stuff. So I had a, I guess I had a musical sensibility, but I didn't really have any, any instrument skills. So I think it was kind of the thing, like I, you know, I, I downloaded uh, Fruity Loops in high school and was kind mm -hmm. of playing around with doing like chiptune stuff. Uh, you know, there was like a Beck EP at the time that, um, and again, it was just done out of limitation. Like, oh, well chiptune stuff, you could probably, you know, make easily something uh and there was back ep it was around like release of guero just had like he just kind of got a bunch of people from this specific like uh chiptune community to remix all his songs and i remember really loving that ep it had some dude head banging in front of like a marshall stack but he was holding a game boy you know like connected to the to the end so i kind of was like you know i it was an evocative image and i i, I started messing around with it but Nothing that sounded particularly good, you know, like it, it wasn't until getting to uh, college. And by that point, like, you know, I was definitely uh, definitely listening to, you know, those early like uh, like The Knife and Hot Chip and Soul Wax. And then, of course, like Ed Banger stuff and, and Alan Brax, a lot of French House definitely was into Daft Punk. Uh, and I had this other you know, side that like really liked um, like more psychedelic stuff, like Olivia Car Control, you know, Ariel Banks the Doldrums or, or or stuff like that. And um, and I wouldn't really go to reconcile those sensibilities in Neon Indian, but in the beginning, I just wanted to make like dance music. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I wound up um, hanging out a lot at this uh, band house uh that it was like some band well it was a band of my friends that, that they they um they were called frog handoff which i guess was like an, a reference to some ee e. comes poem and uh and they would throw a lot of house parties and that was kind of how i started to meet uh a lot of musicians uh and then they had a back house and i wound up moving in with some bandmates so where we started like my first band ghost hustler uh and you know i that was kind of really where i started learning how to really use ableton huge reason uh i obviously you know i have my best to thank for that um but you know we uh we only had one laptop then so it was like um you know one of us would sit down for like an hour and a half and do a bunch of stuff and then the next person would sit down and then race like half of what they did and then do a bunch of stuff and then the next yes. we were just like constantly going these circles um but um but that was kind of the, you know that was that first real uh go at it you know yeah so you, you mentioned laptop that i have i have a question is it true that you had an album that you had almost completed on a laptop that you got stolen from you that you lost yeah i wouldn't say it was like almost completed but it was definitely i had a lot of demos that i was going to use to uh make a new record with and uh and obviously you know embellish a little bit because you know like print the uh print the truth of the legend, you know, print the legend, but it was, I mean, yeah, it was like, I had been working on stuff all on that tour. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, I got uh, locked out of my place after um, we played a show at Terminal 5 and then we went to some after party and my, my roommates were there, they left earlier and I got my key cause I left my, you know, my luggage like still in the van. So I got home right as the sun was rising. And of course, I'm like, you know, I was like pretty drunk. 
uh, like knocking on the door, trying to get them to answer, calling them. Uh, and then eventually at some point, just like sitting in my stoop, like I just nodded off, just waiting for them to eventually come to the door, wake up. And when I woke up, my laptop was not with me anymore. Uh, so somebody, um, you know, just yoinked it, um, which was like, it was scary. You know, obviously it was like a little devastating at the time. Weirdly enough, like the demos that I remembered well enough, the songs that I liked enough to uh, do something with, I was able to recreate. It was really sort of like a thinning out of just like, just, well, I remember that one went like this and this one had some chopped up sample that I think I did this with, mm-hmm. you know, it's never going to sound exactly like it did, you know, uh, in those demos, but I have to just sort of embrace that and just move on, you know? Yeah. That was my next question was if you recreated any of those songs. I remember there was a story, I think uh, Green Day had some, something similar happen to them where their their master copies got destroyed. So they decided just to start a whole new album. They're like, we're not even going to do those. We're going to create a new album. I think that's where yeah. American Idiot came from. But uh, Oh, wow. I, I mean, sometimes that's kind of what, I mean, that that was sort of how the new record came to be. I was writing a whole different, like a Indian, Indian, like psych Columbia album. And I mm-hmm. kind of just hit a wall with it. Like, I mean, the pandemic happened and then there was a very kind of like, ill-advised like, tour that we did that just put a huge wedge during all the, the recording sessions of it. So by the time I got done with like this, you know, three months on the road, I was I kind of lost the thread. I was like, what was I working on? Right. And then the pandemic starts, so suddenly there's nothing to work on. And I kind of just started from scratch. And it was, I mean, honestly, the best decision I could have done. Um, yeah. Cause you know. Well, and during the pandemic, you were doing the uh, the DJ stuff every Friday night or Saturday night, something like that. I remember sitting there watching you do the you know, DJ stuff for you know just entertainment for people. I thought that was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. Wow, thanks, man. Well, I mean, that's kind of I'll say this: like, uh, it's funny because some things like it can, you know, if I've been DJing for too long and I haven't toured with the band, they they start to get a little frustrated, but. I, and I totally get it. I mean, you know, you kind of need one. You can't get the DJ sets without the live show and then vice versa. But I make, I, for me, it's a lot more profitable to DJ because I tend to, I mean, I'm kind of a curmudgeon and I I, I always want to present the show at the level I want it to be at, you know, regardless of where the band is at. So it like, I don't, for me, like live show has always been an investment, you know, like having a five band having percussion players having like modular synth equipment having like just doing it you know having, having a, a, a any kind of projections or visuals all that stuff is just like again it's part of the world building like you know if i can't have those elements of it and i'm just doing it with a laptop kind of you know it's like at that point like then go back to school and do something else right but but the djing is something that like not only is it um uh you know, not only is it is it something that I, I really enjoy doing and, and that I'm good at, because I, I, you know, I, I started DJing before I even ever, you know, played live. Like I, I had a residency in Denton where I went to school and I would DJ every Wednesday and that was kind of where I cut my teeth with that. But the DJing aspect of it is kind of like a very essential part of the album writing process for me because voraciously hunting for new music and figuring out what works, what doesn't, what works on the dance floor, you know, what kind of niche genre am I getting into? like. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff that then you know informs what I eventually go to write. Um, so it's all kind of this one symbiotic thing. Well, you know, speaking of that, what is what is your process when you are writing the songs? Do you have you know some lyrics that come to you, and then you you know write uh, you know music to that, or do you have like a melody that comes to you? You record it on your iPhone, send it to you later. You know what what's your what's your process when you're creating a new song or a new album? Well, you know, it used to be. Uh, I mean, the early days when it was like sample based, you know, like you'd have a loop and then, it, you know, things would just start kind of coming to you. Um, but as time sort of progressed and I got more interested in just like the songwriting aspect, but not just the production and the textural stuff. I mean, this record was kind of a, a, an overhaul in how I write because I would say that like, um, you know, I eventually like in, in 2015, um, you know, when I put a new band together, uh, a mostly new band together um, for the Vega uh, 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 tour cycle, um, I realized that like when my brother joined the band that I would have to get two, you know, two other players that kind of speak his language because he's like a Berkeley guy, you know, he's a jazz guy. And I, you know, obviously I'm like, all right, well, let's, let's get some, let's get some players that, you know, that, that are like trained, you know, that are, that are um, 
like proper session guys. And it so happened that two friends of mine from college, Austin at Berkeley, uh, they were like a songwriting team. They had they, we we I would see them a lot in Denton because they had you know uh, a couple different projects that were also like kind of dance oriented. But they rip, and they're still to this day like you know, the best players I've, I've played with. You know, so once they joined the band, I realized that I was like the least technically adept person in my band. But obviously, you can fire me because I write the songs. Um, but it, it really, you know, it kind of lit the fire under my ass uh, because I think up until then I'd kind of been in denial of just sort of like, oh, I want to you know, like I'm a producer. I'm not really a musician. You know, like oh, I'm you know, music is just something I'm doing right now. I'm not. You know, eventually, I'll I'll do film or eventually, you know. But the more I got hooked on music, the more I realized that it's like, you know, you're gonna hit this point where your hand can't keep up with the ideas you have. And obviously, mm. your palate is is starting to mature, but if you're not learning actual theory or, or an instrument alongside that, you're gonna have a really hard time. So I was just kind of fussed around on the piano and it wasn't until, you know, finishing that record. And in the course of that record, also realizing that like, you know, these these uh, ears for key changes and stuff like that would go so much easier. Like my brother would be like, oh, you've got a great tension chord. So I was like, I don't know what that means, but you know, I, it's what, it, this is what it sounds like. Right. Um, so that was something that, you know, I made it kind of a, a personal MO um, after touring big to be like, okay, we got to, got to step it up. And, um, and that was kind of partially, you know, that didn't really get to happen during the, until the pandemic, because I mean, it's interesting. It's like the irony of like being a musician by trade is how little music you get to make once, you know, like once you're doing it, cause you're mostly touring it, mostly promoting it. You're, and then now there's like this sort of, accruing list of things that are expected of you like they want you to be a pundit they want you to be a role model they want you to be a content creator they want you to uh you know, to, to be a talking head uh you know and and they're really like you don't get a lot of time to go back to the lab so to speak and and kind of you know develop skills you know or, or to better your craft and uh and i really kind of decided that the project you know my, my personal project would be to learn how to sight read and buy a piano and really start playing it. Um, and now, you know, rather than kind of doing this sort of like mm, playing around maybe some chords or maybe I hear a melody or something like th this record was the first time that um, I try to write a vocal melody that then informs what I dress around it. You know? mm. and, and and obviously like these things still start relatively with, with simple loops, you know, like you, that might still come with a drum beat or some basic baseline or a set of chords. But this time around, like rather than write a whole progression and then try to lay vocals on top of it, because you're always gonna have it, like I always struggle with that. Sometimes, well, the idea I came up with wasn't in the right key, you know, or the and and we're trying to transpose that and figure that out. But now sitting at a piano and kind of having some melodic concept then kind of helped me think where the song goes next. And I didn't used to have that skill. That was stuff that would just kind of happen by accident. Um, and in the last part, like, you know, I'll just say quickly, I, I, I tend to be very verbose answers, but I'll say, um, uh, in large part, my feeling was like, you know, with Neon Indian, like they know you, you know, you know, you're playing around a synth, they know, you know, production, like what haven't they heard you done yet? And it's like, well, the vocals have always been kind of like buried in all this muck, you know, and like, what if this time the thing you're focusing on is, is actual songwriting? like lyrics and the craft of it uh and of course like you know you we'll still put some we'll, we'll put some sauce on it you know we're still we're still making a, a you know we're still making a uh a dole here you know but uh right. now we're emphasizing a different skill that that wasn't really prominent before yeah it's that's you definitely hear kind of the I don't want to say what, maturity in each album and I've I've had this theory for years that it takes 3 albums to really understand an artist and really understand yeah. who they are and and the band the artist whatever and i kind of i felt the same way with with your music each one kind of has a different feeling a different personality to it and you can you can hear it's you know unmistakably neon indian each album but uh but there's yeah. definitely a growth in in each one so and with the uh the new album uh under your own name alan palomo uh the album is world of hassle it comes out september 15th um What's what was what was kind of your different uh, pivot point from this album as opposed to Neon Indian? What was the, the the ethos, the thought behind not making a Neon Indian album and making uh, this album? 
Well, I mean, in part, like, obviously, you know, the vocal, sorry, the, the record being more vocal focused uh, was one indicator, but really more so like, I, uh, I mean, I've always been a fan of, of Sophistapop stuff, like Prefab Spout or the Blue Nile. And, and these are things that like, Neon Indian, it, it never totally made sense to kind of explore that particular type of songwriting, or it would have to sort of exist as this lo-fi thing. And uh, and I just got really into um, this sort of like 80s male rock cliche of like leaving your band in your 30s, you know, at its height to like go off and do like jazz record, you know, like I, I'm very obviously like once he once he found a formula for Avalon, then he was like, I'm out like and just started making, you know, like basically made like three Avalon formed kind of records after that. Or like, um, like I, I was talking to uh, I was talking to my, my friend Dan, um, uh, uh, Lapatin, uh, he makes music as one of tricks. And he he told me about this documentary called Bring the Night, that's about Sting leaving the police, and he just hires this like DC jazz band and and takes him to some 17th century chateau in Paris to like or outside of Paris just to rehearse, which is insane. Mm -hmm. So it is this you know it's this sort of like embarrassment of 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 riches and and um. And and it speaks of like a premature midlife crisis, and I I love that I, I love that shit. It's like so it's comedy, but it's also sincere because I am at that age, you know. And and um, and part of me also was like, you know, I I I just got on this like I never listened to Leonard Cohen in high school, and I was like, yeah, you know, like I I who who doesn't love Suzanne? But I hadn't really heard I'm Your Man era uh, Leonard Cohen where he's like. You know, he's basically 50. Uh, he makes his first like, kind of weird electronic record and suddenly starts to show that he has a sense of humor and is always a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just this really like, you know, this like razor sharp tongue uh, singing over these weird Casio songs. And I just got obsessed with it. Like, I, I, I don't know if I, I hadn't run into it before. Um, and I was watching, you know, he did all these like, interviews on on these like late night like european talk shows and uh, there's one it's like there's one where he's like, talking to a sexologist in Berlin, you know and the, the interview's done on like a big bed and they're like talking and it's very tongue-in-cheek but i i love that you know he's like at, he, had, he had just so completely reinvented himself uh at that age and even though i'm you know i'm still 15 years out from something like that um I like the idea that that's what you would invest in in the long run, you know, because I've always had a joke that it's like, once I let myself go and I'm like, for, for a Vegas residency and like, my, you know, late, like late fifties and I'm, you know, just like, yeah, you guys are a sex crowd. Should have taken acid with you, with you, with you. Like, I, I just, I'm like, why would I still be singing the same songs? Why would I still be, you know, trying to recapture a moment? Especially, I mean, the irony is that if I would have put out a record as Neon Indian right now, in the wake of like indie sleaze and this sort of 2000s revival, it actually might've been a really great marketing move, but I just walked away from it because it just wasn't where my head was at. Um, right. And it's been, you know, it's it's costing a lot of work. I mean, in the era of the algorithm, like editorial's dead. So it's, it's they're not dead, but it just doesn't, it isn't what it used to be, you know? Mm -hmm. So most of it is just, you've got these streaming services that are just kind of like, they've got their hand on the fame valve. It's really up to them if they want to like put it on their playlists or not. And it's been wild to kind of see this sort of roller coaster. Like, well, this song is doing this great. This one underperformed and this one over. Like, it's been this like miasma that I'm trying to like navigate and make sense of. But you know, I, I this is a, you know, it's a, it's a, it was a calculated risk that I ultimately am like, you know, even if it doesn't pay off, like, traffic wise you know on this record like i i couldn't i couldn't care less like I, i'm proud of the record and 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 this is a long-term move for as you know as somebody who wants to that's composed more and and uh and, and starting to take home more serious you know yeah do you have a uh two-part question do you have a favorite song on the upcoming album and then also do you have just like a favorite piece that you've ever created just like something you hold up in a high esteem that you're like well this is the best thing i've oh, i've man. ever done or one of my favorite things i've ever done well the one on this record is a close contender for just favorite thing i've uh you know it's not the best thing i've done but just for me personally like one of my favorite songs that i've written and uh it's gonna be like the focus track that does uh you know that that comes out with the album but um it's called a is there nightlife after death and uh i just i mean you know i i i kind of wrote it from the perspective of 
um, you know, somebody, I mean, it, it, as, as somebody that like is kind of at the end of their life and they've, they've been to all the parties and they're kind of suddenly now they're met with this question, you know, uh, and, uh, and it is, you know, sort of about the, the terror of that, like uh, deep, deep sleep, you know, where you don't sleep essentially. Um, and, uh, just, it's the most like, um, I mean, it's, it's, the rock's music uh, influence is definitely there, um, but it's just like I've always wanted to write something that I I sent to my dad and just be like, this is just a a, a song. This is like you know because I think in the early days he, he was like, oh wait, you're hiding your voice and what what is this? You know, Italo, go. You know, like it wasn't you know. I, I, obviously, my dad's always been supportive of it, but this was something that like I just sent him and you know just low key was like this is you know, this is born out of a love for songwriting, not necessarily just making beats or, 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 you know, sort of genre, um, homages, but, um, but honestly, I mean, each record's kind of got their song, you know, like I, I think Scorpio, Dear Scorpio Magazine was my favorite song on the last record. Yeah. And these songs, they're never the singles. They're never, they never want to be, right. I can never convince the labels that, you know, the, or the label that that should be the single. Um, yeah. but See, uh, I, Scorpio, I really loved, uh, I love Dear Scorpio and, uh, Street Level. Street level was just oh my god that's that go was another one i pitched yeah, yeah. yeah it's all i mean you know it's always going to be tough it's like people have their own uh ideas about what might do well might not but as far as yeah those two would probably be what i was happiest with on the record um on the second one on eric Stranya, blindside kicks uh you know just because i i never i i never i never made just kind of like a noise kind of shoegaze pop before or track before uh i haven't gotten the opportunity since so that was just like a special little moment in that one mm -hmm. and then i'd say mind drips is probably uh was my favorite on second chasms so yeah. they're always the b-sides you, you can't you can't sleep on uh on toyota man and sleep paralysis and i mean i could just name oh, off man. your, your yeah. whole uh your, your whole sure. catalog yeah. you know this is me being a fanboy again i'll go i'll, I'll stop i'll stop uh <laughs> <laughs> so you uh, got the new album coming out, World of Hassle. I'm going to plug it again for you, September 15th. Um, nice. Is there a is uh, is there a tour as well coming with that? Yeah, so we've got um uh, we've got a U.S. run, um, and uh, you know so far like the main festival stop is Levitation, which is happening in Austin. Um, but you know in New York we're going to do elsewhere. Uh, in L.A., uh, I believe it's at um, Oh, uh, they're gonna kill me. Uh, the, the we'll just tell them to go to the website. Long. Just go to the website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just go to the website. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, this time around, so again, it's kind of you know, it's sort of challenge where um, with name change, you know, it's it's we're we're in the process of like kind of trying to get everybody. Imagine you've got this core gradient of like fans, and and it sounds like you're that that ten percent, that fifteen percent of people that like they know you know they know the records. They they know you know they know it's me, um, and it slowly starts to ripple out to like, oh yeah, I've seen that band at a festival, or I heard that one record, or you know, and then it then ripples out to like, oh, I've I've heard Polish Flow on some playlist, or like, mm -hmm. oh, I heard it in Grand Theft Auto, and like, it's tough to get you know, on the megaphone all the way to the back of the room, but that's kind of what this tour is is largely is largely about, you know, it's like let's let's get back out there. You know, we're gonna have a sax player. We're gonna have some pop singers. We're gonna really kind of do it up in the in the uh, to pop kind of fashion, um, and uh, and just is, like rip through the. Uh, is sorry. it just gonna be the world of hassle uh, music, or are you gonna play some neon Indian as well? No, I'll definitely play some neon Indian stuff as well. I mean, it's like this is definitely an experiment. You know, like I, I never officially retired the name neon Indian. There could be a world mm -hmm. where you know I have an idea that really makes sense for that. Um, and, uh, and I, and I go back to it, but in the interim, you know, uh, it's definitely like, I know, you know, I, I, I can't not play Polish girl. Uh, and there's definitely stuff from this album that still gels really well with Vega International. I mean, speaking of Scorpio, you know, it's like, yeah, like the one that just dropped, uh, yesterday, La Madrileña, um, you know, that's like, yeah, that would be, you could see those in the same set list pretty easily. Um, so it's still, you know, it's evolving. This first one's kind of an underplay. Like we kind of want to do it in more intimate rooms, as you know, as as we first kind of like build this out. Um, but it's also the first time that I, you know, I've I've a record and had a surplus of material 
So there's definitely plans for an EP that I want to do maybe six months after the record's out. And because there was one song that I really, really wanted on the record and it just didn't make sense sequencing wise. And I, I just mm -hmm. couldn't get the vocal take I wanted. So I, 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 I'm definitely um, wanting to come back and finish that song with a vengeance and, and have maybe a collection of four or five that are kind of built around the concept. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, um, you know, this time around, I, I, I don't want there to be another eight year gap between records. So I, we don't, I, we don't want that either. Us fans don't want yeah, that either. Yeah, we want, yeah. we want more music and, and, uh, we want you to come to Indiana. You know, you, I missed you back in, yes. I think it was, I think it was 2015, maybe you were here, played in Bloomington. And I always kick myself for not, uh, not making it down to that show. So, uh, when and, you come to Indiana, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it, uh, uh, make it a point to get there was well, central indiana i mean don't go to like fort wayne or gary or oh, yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm not going up well, there <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bloomington, it's funny because it, bloomington always stuck out in my mind because it, it's like a bizarro denton texas it has a little it has a town square that has like bars around it you know it's like the, the mm -hmm. layout is very similar so i always i feel at home there it always it feels familiar in some way yeah we'll come back come back we'll, we'll be uh excited to have uh have Alan Palomo and hear the uh, World of Hassle album here in uh, in the Hoosier State. So, if anybody's oh, interested yeah. in in uh, in you know getting this album or learning more about uh, Alan, you go to alanpalomo.com. The A L A N P A L O M O dot com. Alan, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I've already taken up too much as it is, but I got one last question for you that I ask everybody oh, that comes on the cool. podcast: is uh, if you're in front of a, a classroom full of creatives what kind of advice would you give them as they go forth on their creative journey? Oh, that's a great question. I would say um, uh, the follow through is everything. And I, I, I'll say, I say this specifically in that, um, you know, I grew up around two types of creative friends, like the friends that uh, showed a lot of promise early on, you were like very talented naturally. And then there were the ones that like, eh, you know, it was like a work in progress. But I found that often the case was that like, I think, when you have some intuitive talent and you want to make something great, you're so afraid that your first thing is going to suck that you just don't, you never get around to it or you're, you're just stuck on idea one and you're just polishing the same turd. Like you kind of have to suck in the beginning, you know, like it's very rare that you just get, and you might even get some good stuff in the beginning. Um, but on the flip side, there's been friends of mine that were just always like at it and always making something and moving on and making something and moving on and making something and the feedback is what makes you better. The practice is what makes you better. So I would say like the follow through is everything. If you have something that you want to make, like make it, it doesn't have to be, you know, apocalypse now. Like it just, just mm -hmm. make the thing, make the thing, you know, even if it's just like a, a VHS version or, or a, an iPhone version, or if you're just making tracks on, on Ableton or some like recording software that you cracked, you know, or an iPhone app, like just, you know, get a body of work going because you know, people to, they look at these, you know, it, we, we look to these geniuses that were always amazing and oh, it's so intimidating. And it's like, yeah, but that's not the case for 99% of other you know, creatives. And I, I definitely, I wouldn't put myself in that 1%. It's like, I'm, I'm not prolific. It takes me a long time. I second guess ideas a lot. I have mm -hmm. to workshop them. But I, I like to be a, a man of the word and that like, if I am going to make something, I will eventually finish it and it will come out, you know, and whether it's received well or not, is irrelevant to me like it's i've made the thing you know like i i want uh i i i draw a lot of joy from that process and that would be my other piece of advice is like if it's not fun consider something else um mm -hmm. because it's it's easy to lose uh the joy of it when you're stressed out and you're making something and you're doing it to a deadline when i hit those moments where i just get like i'm just ready to rip my hair out because i can't get the mix up right or something like i just i stop for a second and if a song isn't working, in my case, it's probably because the humor's not there, the playfulness isn't there. So I have to like find a way to come back to that. Or that's usually what saves the idea for me. So, you know, it's like these sound like cliches, but really don't no, yeah, apply these it, things. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, and we're all, we're always gonna be our own worst critic. And you know, when we're creating something, you you know, you have that voice in the back of your head. And I think most people do that says, "Well, what if what if I put this out and it's terrible? What if it sucks? What if it's awful?" And I, um, you know, I, I make 
music on the side for fun. I, I, it's laughable to say that, but, um, and I have like 12 people to listen to it on Spotify. So, uh, you know, for those 12 people that enjoy listening to my, to my music, then that's fantastic. It's a hobby and it's fun. It's just a creative outlet for, for me. And I just, I create it. I put it out there for people to listen. So anybody wants to listen to it, it's under creative culture. So there you go. I put my plug yeah, in with yours, <laughs> but, um, and then maybe I'll get 16 people who knows, you know, it, <laughs> so, um, the new album, World of Hassle, coming out September 15th. Super excited to hear it. Super excited for the tour and possibly another EP coming uh, soon afterwards. So, Alan, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. And it has been a thrill to talk to you and I uh, wish you best of luck moving forward. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And thanks for having me on. This was a, this was a blast. Each week on Create, Talk, Repeat, I want to leave you with some creative task or inspiration, something to get your creative juices flowing. This week, I just want you to go listen to Neon Indian and the new Alan Palomo music. That's it. Just go enjoy this awesome music and let it feed your creativity. I hope this helps you on your creative journey. Thanks for listening to Create, Talk, Repeat. Create Talk Repeat is a Brenton Creative Production. Created and hosted by me, Dustin Brenton. Music by Creative Culture. Follow us on Facebook at Create Talk Repeat or visit our website at createtalkrepeat.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.